Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. There was a young lady from Exeter, and all the young boys wanted sex with her. Is that right? <laughs> Why did you decide to open the show with that? I see now you're, you're, you're destroyed my train of thought. i got to start all over again. Okay. There was a young lady from Exeter, and all the young boys wanted sex with her. So uncommonly rude, she'd recline in the nude while her parrot, a pervert, took pecs at her. Let me explain something to you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's not how... That's not how the show opens? No. Oh. There are, listeners the cleaning, out there. There, there are people... What? Oh, you're going to do that for us? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Let's try it again. Ready and go. 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 Oh, go. Take it. Live. From the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, the following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen. Uncommonly rude, he reclines in the nude while Again? a parrot, is he still a pervert, takes pecs at him. It's about time. Yeah. It is about time. He's great visuals on the radio, I'll tell you that. Yeah, you're painting some great pictures yeah. today. I got paint by masterpiece. Yes, you look at the look at the oils. Yeah. They're glistening. They are glistening. Will you drain my oil, April? please? April, April, start the show. What Live from the hills of Encino, where industry and nature work hand in hand to create a better life for all of us. Well, it is. Back, how do we get back to the hills? It's of the centerpiece yeah. of a better America. Yeah, boy, you're right about that. It's like living on a lazy Susan. Yeah. <laughs> what? Remember her? Yes. Well, she's quite lazy. Yeah. Boy. Spin her around a few times. Hi, welcome to the show, True Crime Uncensored. I'm the, the uh, what's it, who am I? You're the imaginary Burl Bear. That's right, the imaginary Burl Bear. There was a, uh, a kid that was very disappointed when he met me, as most people are. <laughs> yeah, he, he thought I was a cartoon, <laughs> and he was disappointed to find out I was a real person. That, 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 was, that could have been Matt many, many years ago yeah. when he finally met you. I said, what's the matter, kid? Had I animated enough for you? No, he was he was cool when I first met him. Yeah, yeah. Now, however. Then what happened? <laughs> I didn't know how nuts he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was shocked and chagrined and mortified. But he, but you know he didn't look like a dopey DJ, and he he always uh, wore the uh, always not a suit but a blazer. sport jacket and slacks. Yeah, always looked good, man. He, but he was in fact well, out of his mind. Yeah, you know, a, a dopey DJ. <laughs> out of his mind, but tremendous talent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember that? Remember those days? I remember the, those days yeah. when I complained about Cher performing a little nude in public. <laughs> Back up. Back up. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Oh, we were, Cher was very popular in those days. Used to wear those outlandish kind of Elton John sort of costumes, you know, dressed like a giant naked duck or something. Remember, hey, hey, Burl, remember yeah. when Cher resembled Cher? <laughs> yes. Oh, those were the yeah. days. Now she resembles a leather chair. <laughs> uh, what the hell does she resemble now? Yeah. An, an alien. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we were reminiscing just a uh, couple weeks ago on the show about when uh, Sonny and Cher were called Caesar and Cleo. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Uh, what show was that? Because I wasn't on it. Oh, you weren't? No. Uh, no, you were out of town being famous. Uh, <laughs> Howard is now uh, a member of a Hall of Fame. What exactly Hall of Fame is it? I am a member of Hall of Fame. So, so are Matt and I are members of all, uh, Hall of Fame. Which Hall are you in? The Rock and Roll Radio Hall of Fame. That's big. Oh, God, is it. <laughs> Yeah. It's so big, they haven't been able to find a venue for it. No, that, none of these halls have venues. That and a subway token. Yeah, yeah. My hall doesn't have a venue. It doesn't. It does? Hang on. Genius over here. Genius says yeah. it does. 
What is the actual name of your Hall of Fame? <laughs> it's the WERS. WERS. or FM? FM. WERS. 88.9. How's that? Yeah, that's pretty damn good. And the only other Hall of Famer we know is Chasey Lane, who's in the AVN Hall of Fame. Remember that? She was here many weeks ago. By the way, deservedly so. And yes, if you've seen her films, she has an award waiting for her in the back room. Somewhere. Well, somewhere in the back. Yes. (laughs) She's been there several times. So someone has. So do we have any kind of a show today? Yeah. Is our guest called in yet? Yeah, I'm Boy, assuming. Oh. Hey, you guys can real, they can sure talk. <laughs> you, you guys just talk because you got lips. I mean, I can't believe it. You know, you're talking about Hall of Fame and everything. Meanwhile, you have a guest waiting. <laughs> well, hang on, Punch. We're going to go further on my Hall of Fame. Forget about it. Now you got my alter ego. Yeah. You got Paulie Zaza today. Come yeah, there that. we go. Paulie Zaza. He got shot by, uh, Zaza. got shot by, uh, what's his name? Garcia. In Godfather Three, I remember that. Those of uh, those of us that have seen it more than uh, once. Yes, I've seen it four or five times. Well, that's why they call me Paulie Zaza because I don't do sit downs. There you go. <laughs> He's a stand up guy. I think I got through half of that uh, Godfather Three and left the theater. Oh no! Yeah, it, was, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't it's just good. because he cast his daughter in that part that was supposed to be for Renona Ryder, but she had a nervous. No, well, listen, man. Andy Garcia was great, though. He was. And they keep asking him if there's going to be another Godfather movie with pick it up where where they left off, you know, with him. No, 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 he's going to be, he's going to actually do the Vizcaya. um, He's going to narrate the Vizcaya. He is. Is he going to play your father? Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. He's going to play your dad. That should be fascinating. Bro, why did you tell? No, I don't. I don't know if you. No, I think Antonio Bandaleras is going to play my dad. Oh, that makes sense. Tell, tell the audience who we have here. We have Pavle Sedemirovic, also known as Paul Sedemirovic, also known as Paul Zaza, also known as Paul Montana, also known as Punch. Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. Hall of, he's in the Hall of Fame. What Hall of Fame are you in, Punch? Diamond Heist Hall of Fame. Diamond Heist. Yeah. That's right. We figured you stole something like $300 million worth of diamonds, precious Probably gems. More. more. Probably than that. More, more than that. More than that. And then what would you do with all the money? Well, I spent it. You know, uh, I spent it, and I lived well. Um, I, I I wish I can live now one percent of the way I used to live. Okay, and uh, this is the fun part. I really never even got into it with um, with uh, with Burl about how how much money I was spending on a daily basis. Um, little as possible. Okay, because I had credit cards and other sources, you know, to utilize for me, you know, whatever I needed to do. If I needed to go to a restaurant and I got six, seven guys, I'm using plastic. That's what wise guys do. They use plastic. And, um, well, the wise guys that were around me, that's what we did. You know, we used a lot of plastic around in the city. And, um, the guy goes, uh, the waiter goes, uh, goes in the back and, uh, you know, we take care of everybody, so, you know... Yeah, but there, there's, there's a story that's in your forthcoming book, brilliant book by, written with me, of course, which makes it double brilliant, where you you steal a million dollars in cash, but it's all in ones and fives. <laughs> and you can't... Oh, my God. There's no place to put yeah. it. This re- <laughs> You're stuffing couches with... Right, hang on, I want to back up. Where did you, where, where did you get the million? Okay. Tough question. Can I tell him where you stole it? Yeah, go ahead. Spuddy, his is a male model, 
comes back and happens to have stumbled across a, a dope dealer's money room where they, you know, they got the money in the machines. Yeah. And says, they, hey, they I, make that exact noise. It, yeah. So he, so he had punched, dress up as policeman, get, get in a black Ford LTD, and go raid the place and take uh, all the money and a couple kilos of coke for fun. And uh, they, it's like a million bucks and it's in giant hefty bags. And it's all like ones and fives. There's how much, mo- how many physical money there's. There's no place to put it all. So they're stuffing couches with it, uh, pillows, anything, a whole room. They have <laughs> bills. And it's all filthy, and they're all got, you know, stains all over their hands with dirty, dirty money. Dirty money, yeah, dirty money. Yeah. Uh, well, this was the thing. When, when I used to bring in my money machines to get fixed, they were dirty. They were filthy. And the guy says, what are you guys doing here? What do you, you know, what kind of money are you counting? And I'm like, I'm counting regular money, you know. Uh, and, and this is when, when you're counting low denomination bills, uh, singles, fives, tens, twenties. Oh, my God. It, it looked like, it, you know, my hands looked like I was fixing motorcycles. Seriously. <laughs> uh, and there's so much cocaine on the money in the, er, in the early 90s. It was crazy. It was, uh, you know, coke era. It was a crack era. And then it became a heroin era. And it's just, it just, uh, New York was. So all these drugs are like permeated the money from the drug house. So you probably. And uh, the drugs and and money and, and the people that were involved from every country, from every denomination of life, I'm talking about, they were sticking it in places where you can't believe. And, you know, just to get the product to New York. Yeah. And it was just a crazy time. And uh, as I said, the feds, they were concentrating on the Gambino family, you know, on the, on the, on the Gambino crime family in John Gotti. This right. was a major, this was the main thing in Manhattan, uh, all the so- social clubs. And, uh, you know, this is what they were going for. So, you know, you think you have a federal case, right, that they're going to have all this James Bond surveillance on you, okay? Yeah. That, you know, oh, they got you. You know, you think that if you get nabbed by the feds, that you're you're, you're true. You know, you're finished. Uh, It lights out. And this is what my attorney, uh, that my father got me, that's a personal friend of my father's, and he was shaking and nervous and crying because he did not want to take this case. You understand? Because the responsibility, he's my father's friend, and imagine this guy gets his son 37 years to life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, what is he going to tell my father, Mr. Stan? My father loves me. I'm his, you know, his, 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 not his first, I'm his third child, but Yours. I'm his pride and joy because I do what he does. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was just this guy. I never seen a, a lawyer this nervous in my life. And he said, uh, uh, "Paul, you got to take the plea. You got to take the plea." And I said, "What are you fucking crazy? If I take the plea, um, I'm going to bring down the whole house." Right. And he was like, "Oh my God, he, he's going to have a heart attack right there." Okay. His name is uh, uh, Brian De Palma. <laughs> Brian De Palma. I remember this. Yeah. And uh, and and I'm like, well, what do they have? And and you know. He didn't even know. He didn't even know what, what, what they had. You know, it's just the fact that we were there, you know? And um, he never seen anything like this before, you know what I mean? Because this was, this was the big league, you know? So what did he do? Uh, he'd go, excuse me? What did he do? 
How did he keep you from doing 37 to life? Oh, no, I fired him. No, I Good work. So you fired him. So check this out. So I kick him out of there, right? Because I start spitting on him and everything. Well, not on him, but like I look like Japonchek, you know, the Russian mob boss that was kicking the camera and everything. That's how I look. Um, and and this is because of my mentality at that time. I, you know, I thought I was somebody. You know what I mean? And I found out that I wasn't nobody <laughs> when I came out of jail. There was no cameras. There was no press. There was nothing. Just to remind the audience, how, how long how long were you in? Uh, uh, total, 21 years in the system. I was caught 21 years in the system. Now, I'm going to explain this to you. 21 years of my life, meaning that the state owned me for 21 years. Okay? Um, I did physically 16 years in prison, okay? Mm -hmm. And five years on parole. So that's 21 years total. Now, you did have a break, uh, though, right? I mean, you were in there from what is it? Uh, uh, a break. I mean, you, you came out once and then went back in again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had two bids. Uh, my first bid, I wasn't even supposed to, my, my first bid, I wasn't even supposed to go to jail. I had it so sweet because I had John Gotti Jr.'s lawyers. That's uh, Jojo Carrazzo and Ronald Rubenstein. And that's why I used to bump into him all the time in Kew Gardens over there in Queens. And uh, it was smart to have this guy as the lawyer because this is the lawyer that actually uh, made him cop out. You know, take a plea. Allegedly, he's no longer in the mob. Mm -hmm. They let him go. And allegedly, but, you weren't uh, doing any diamond heists either. <laughs> well, he wasn't doing nothing. He was sitting in the chair the whole time. Like, the guy, you know, the kid was, um, I mean, I'm going to say the poor kid because I could relate to, to you know, his father, for example. And that's the only thing I could relate. He's older than me. He's much older than me. But uh, he got married when I was in the Hermsley Hotel. I, I crashed this fucking wedding. <laughs> and it was secure. They had security. They had, you got to see all these mob guys. They were all over the place, you know, in tuxedos and stuff like that. It was, it was the biggest wedding in Manhattan at that time. I think it was 1992, as a matter of fact. Something like that. 1992? I think so, yeah. It was that year, Bo. That was a big year for you. It was a huge year for me. I mean, it's, I mean, I was I was the most successful heist guy in the world at that time. Okay? Um, out of hundreds of heists, I only got caught for two. Yeah, and one so of them because... I got caught. I was the only one to ever get caught red-handed on a, in the Diamond District. Only me. And twice, I got caught twice in the Diamond District, red-handed. Tell us, uh, one, tell us how you got uh, how you got busted. How that happened? Well, I thought this show was going to be about the gambling. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, right. Okay, let's change the subject. I found no, that. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Let's, I like I like the heist better. You're going to get me. Uh, we'll talk about we just uh, you, you know how we always talk we just end up talking and it comes out of show don't worry about it alright so well, watch this watch this so now um, here I am right 1992 Manhattan I must have pulled off I don't know at this time probably like 70, 80, 90 heists you know and each one was as I said I never really passed over that you know that 3, 4 point you know that 3 million 4 million dollar mark you know, it was always like three point fucking, I mean, I'm sorry, three point something, you know, mm -hmm. like that. And then I had to split it with six guys, seven guys, you know. Uh, now, the mob, they like to work with a lot of guys. Me, 
I don't like to work with a lot of guys. I just like to work with a lot of strong people that can carry a lot of bags. And, uh, you know, the less, the, less, the less guys, the better, because it's less to split. And it's more for us. So I usually like to work with a three-man team or a four-man team. And that's risky. That's, that's dangerous. That's, putting, that's like rolling the dice sometimes. Why is that? But you could roll the dice with something that I was doing because if I met you in 1992 and I explained exactly what I was doing with insurance companies and I had these guys working for me that are actually the main guards and the dispatchers and the, and the, and the managers and you would be like, I want to invest in your company because that's how I was running it. It was amazing. Um, and I had also the safe company, the, the main safe company for that area safe and lock company for that whole area that uh, 98% of all the safes and safe deposit boxes and everything that was installed was installed by this one company. This was also associated with us. So I was the prince of Manhattan. You know, I was the talk of the underground, you know, the criminal underworld, basically. And if you were a thief and you came to the United States, Nine out of ten, you would come to see my father. And the way you would get to see my father, you have to go through me. And for you to get to go through me, you have to go through all the channels. And this is why I always tell you that I was the youngest, but I was the highest ranked member. Right. So I had guys that were 50, 60 years old, and I was above them. You were all of what, 19, 20 years old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was a young punk. That's right. I was I was I was I was, I was tough though. I was tough because you know um, I had to be, and I didn't want the respect that my father had. You know, I didn't want them to respect like okay. For example, the same thing that happened with John Gotti Jr. and and John Gotti Senior. That that's what I didn't want to happen between me and my father. All right, I wanted to be my own man. And that's when I left, and I left the crew, and I, and, I, and I started my own crew. And then I joined up with one of my father's enemies. This was like biggest enemies. I went with this guy. And that was a big mistake. Why did, why did you do that? Oh, I don't fucking know, because, oh, pardon my French. Um, because why? I was mad. I was. I was. I was mad. I was. Uh, I was upset. You guys weren't bumping each other off. Uh, you weren't killing your family members and your friends. You were nonviolent. You used your father's crew and your entire thing. I mean, he didn't like the idea of anybody even having a gun. Uh, no guns allowed when you're pulling heists. The, no one ever. Yeah, my father. My father. He did not like that. He was always against that because he knew eventually what would what would happen. You know, and if you get caught, if you get caught with a pistol on a on a burglary, that that changes everything around. I mean, I'm talking about by like twenty, thirty years. Okay, mm -hmm. so why why take a gun if you're not going in there to see anybody, you know, or do anything? And a lot of times in the beginning, you know, people are scared. They're like, fuck that, I'm gonna take my own gun, you know, with me because it's my personal, mm. you know, they feel safe. They don't know me, they, they might think they're gonna get whacked, they, you know, they don't know what they're going into, you know, people, they don't really know exactly, you know. Right. Uh, you know, those times were very, as I said, they were very suspenseful. 
and it was intense. Okay, now we were talking about uh, we were talking about you getting popped. Now I'm going to shorten this up here so we can cover a few different things. The first time you got popped, Miracle Watch Company, is because you violated one of your own rules. You went back after you were out. You went back in yeah. to get something. I went back in because, uh, you know, we, we took 5,000 watches out of this place. And that's tremendous. Um, you know, and all these watches, they were very expensive watches. And, and a few bags, whatever, there was one bag that got messed up because it was turned inside out. And, and, uh, and also half of the stuff that was in the vault that I just punched open, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff left. So I really wanted to go back. And I said, yeah, I did break my rule. I said, if, if there was nothing, you know, happening, if, if no, uh, you know... No cops, nothing, no... Yeah, if no security or police or anybody came, then uh, let's go for it. And then, you know, the two dudes that uh, went in with me the first time, they were like, I, I'm good. You know, they're not going back because they were tired. And uh, it is, I mean, it's excruciating work. It's not easy. It's a lot of physical, you know, work. You have to be very strong. You can't just be, can't just be smart. You have to be strong and, and smart. In the same token, you have to, I mean, run from the police. Like, it, it, <laughs> it's, a stressful, it's a stressful life, you know? So but the, but the was, point is, is that your lookout did a lousy job. It wasn't your dad doing the lookout. this other schmuck. He decides to go for a walk around the block. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they, they, you know, he, he loses himself and uh, he forgets the main target, and and there was a cop car in front somehow because uh, oh yeah, the cleaning guy he seen that there was a hole in the wall, <laughs> and uh, you know, and that's another name that they tagged on us, the hole in the wall crew or gang or something like that, and because in every heist that we did, there was always a big hole in the wall, and that's how we get in and out. Um, so that's so, the yeah, first that's one. That's how they got Basically, you that time. Once they see something like that physically, then uh, they pull all five alarms, like helicopters come, SWAT team comes, you know, and it gets crazy. And and that's why I was arrested by the SWAT team. And, and it was, well, both times. I was, well, no, once I was arrested by homicide because... Remember there was a homicide? Oh, that's the second time you get busted. You're doing a heist. Meanwhile, upstairs, some guy's decapitating a parakeet and a cat and his father and throwing their heads out the window. Throws it out the window, yeah. (laughs) Right by us, where we opened a a vault going into the whole entire exchange. The biggest exchange on 47th Street. This is a $100 million job. This is a $100 million heist that we fucked up. And I'm sorry that we messed up. You didn't mess and, it up. Uh, the guy upstairs killing his father messed it up. Well, uh, that, but also I didn't bring the walkie-talkie, the right walkie-talkie, because when the cops came, I could have got out. I could have, you know, I could have got away. When when hundreds of cops came to the place, you know, they could have told me, hey, listen, you know. The cops are there. They're in front, you know, you got to, you know, get into some shade and stuff, and we would have. And, uh, well, we were really trapped. In, in this, and right next to us, there was this ditch. So there was really nowhere, you know, nowhere for us to go except inside the vault. But these guys, they jumped out out of the air conditioning units, man. And you know, I thought it was part of my crew. I thought somebody was messing with me. Thought it was Zoran, you know, that was messing with me. And uh, he popped up. Well, I thought it was him that was gonna, you know, that was popping up and, and behind the air conditioning unit. And it wasn't. It was a homicide. And these guys, they were not nice to us, let me tell you. They weren't nice. Did they think you were the one throwing the decapitated heads off out the window? 
Well, they didn't know what to think. That's the whole thing. All they seen was the, the dude that was with me, he was an Olympic rower, you know, and uh, he's a Seattle graduate from Washington Huskies. This guy used to work in a whiskey bar, Jamie Schaefer, my brother, and he got hit very hard with the, with the flashlight because, you know, he's massive. This guy's like 6'7", you know, and um, when, when they told him to stand up, when he stood up, he, he, like, he looked so big over his top, and they just... They just jabbed him with the flashlight right in his back, and 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 they it looked like they broke something on him. You know, he he really got it bad, and they and they stick the dog on him, and, and it's just like um, a bad movie. This happened yeah. also the first time. A guy was also tall like that. That was Bato, Boya's brother, and uh, they stick the dog on him. You know, but for me somehow I always got away without a beating. You know. Yeah, they took you guys yeah. and put you in a cage so all the cops could come look at you and say, oh, what yeah. time is it, and steal the watches themselves? Yeah, it was ridiculous. I mean, because they didn't know who was pulling these things off, you know. They, uh, they really didn't know, and whoever they caught that was doing low-level crimes, they were like, yeah, it's them, you know. And anybody that they caught, it was like, it's these guys. It's, no, it's these guys. And then they finally had us, but they didn't really know what to do with us. You see, because at that time, the precincts, they weren't really communicating with each other, you know, mm -hmm. like that. And, uh, and the feds, they weren't communicating with the state. And I guess, you know... Yeah, they so they look and they find it. Here's this 19-year-old kid or 20-year-old kid at this time, baby-faced boy. Uh, what kind of a mastermind like can he be, right? Let's let him go on his personal recognizance with a fake name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had all these uh, fake licenses, passports, and I tapped into all my father's, you know, uh, criminal contacts that this is what they do. That's how they travel the world. And, uh, you know, I became somebody else. And once they bust that name, I become somebody else after that. And then I started doing identity theft and credit card theft. So I did the whole criminal wheel, uh, everything, all the crimes that were not violent, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't believe, you know, a person being violent is, you know, that you're a criminal. No, you're, you're, you're just not, not a good person. Yeah, so. yeah it's, it's well said. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. If you hurt somebody, you do it because you like to do it or you want to do it. You, know? you didn't want to do that. We avoid that. We avoid that. And, uh, well, let me just cut the story short because I know we're running out of time, out of precious time, and I, wanna, I want Howard to put his two cents in because I want to what he thinks about this but uh check this out after this time i go to prison and they try to reform me right but not only that i was in the state i was also in the, the feds the federal part too and and i was fighting my cases all the way um because you know i believed in something then i believed in honor and uh and then you know i had family then that were not family towards me. <laughs> you know, all these years, they forgot about me. And uh, basically, that's what happened. You know, I was left to my own devices, and uh, I come out, and everybody's, you know, either gone or deported, and they started doing their own things in other places of the world. And, you know, I started hooking up with other people that were capable, you know, and they weren't necessarily... Uh, you know, Eastern European descent. You know, they could have been anything. They could have been green from Mars. I don't care. As long as 
They can carry the bags. They were willing, <laughs> yeah, as long as they were willing to take instructions, you know, and to make a lot of money, you know. And being generous with the money, this is how it's questioned. I'm going to answer this question. The money was collected. And once you collect money, you lend it out for points, you know, you loan it. It's like you become a bank. And you live off the interest off of that, and that rotates. But, you know, throughout time, you get screwed. You know, people rat on you, uh, organizations fail, you know. People file Chapter 11 in, in the real world. Well, they do the same thing in the criminal world. And, and uh, you know, this is the, the honest truth that, you know, money gets lost and stolen and restolen. My father got robbed at least 10 times. Ten times, okay, in his life, starting from when I was a baby. Five years old. Okay? Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, well, before I was born, they got robbed. With the Vizcaya, right after. Yeah, by the With cops. the Pedavan brothers. Miroslav <laughs> and Zvonko Pedavan, they, they took everything out of the Park Avenue apartment or the Fifth Avenue apartment. Yeah, and uh, they, they, they left them with nothing, okay? So my parents, they went through it, you know, and who was this that was robbing us? The people that were closest to us. This is why Hollywood needs to hurry up and, you know, to give me a movie deal or something because <laughs> I know what I'm talking about, trust me. When it comes to heist and this type of life, you know, we were the other version of what the mob was, okay? If the mob was the only, if they were the only criminals, then, they, yeah, they were the only criminals, but they weren't the only criminals. See, people think they were doing everything. No, they weren't. They had their hand in a lot of lot of things. And, you know, you get a point here, a percentage here, and, they, I mean, they were huge because they had a lot of people, a lot of members. But they're killing each other and having so, mob wars. Yeah, they, and they whack each other out, you know, and that's so bad. And, and it's very tense to live in that type of world. You don't live past 50, basically, because you're either going to wind up in jail for the rest of your life. And you weren't allowed to take pleas. You know, you weren't allowed to take a plea. So now you have... Why, why couldn't you take you know, a plea? Top, top level mob guys... Punch, punch, pleas. punch. Why, why yeah, couldn't you take sure. a plea? Well, because if you take a plea, you're actually telling. You're saying, yeah, I'm a mobster, I belong to, a, to an organization, and I killed this person, and I buried him here, and I did it with Tony, Maloney, and, uh, and Joey. You know what I mean? That's, 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 and if you do that, that's like, you know, you're dry snitching. Basically. Right. And the mob, they didn't play that. Like, well, John Gotti, for example, he didn't believe in that. You know, and that's why he had a, like, a, you know, a situation with his son. He was like, his son's looking for closure. And his father didn't believe in that because the way he grew up, you know? Of course, he's not gonna say he's wrong because that's, you know, the guy's dying in prison and he believed in one thing and he stuck with it his whole life. And you gotta respect somebody like that. It doesn't matter, you know? So. So you weren't about to uh, tell any tales. <laughs> well, what did you say? You weren't about to roll over on people. Never, never. You see, that's the whole thing. If I did, I would have been famous. Oh, a long time ago. You know, I would have been the talk of the town because I would have put, I would have put 300 people in prison. You know, you know what I mean? You know what that is? To put everybody in jail that you work with, your family, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters, your comrades, your, you know, and I don't respect that. I don't respect that because that's a, you know, this was a, why, why should you be now part of the police, you know, part of their team? 
when you were doing things with me. You know what I mean? That was secretive. And now you want to be a cop. You want to you want to be you know a, a guy to get a paycheck with the feds, and uh, these guys are recording you know people. And I mean, it's like they're, they're, you know they're they're becoming a double agent. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're actually those guys that are ratting. Those are the worst guys. Because these were the, the real killers and murderers, and uh, yeah, the it's always the worst. the worst ones that cut the deal and rat out the nice, the nice criminals. I've I've seen that in my true crime investigation. Listen, I don't know why rats were glorified in the first place. Like, why is this being? You know, I I, don't, I never understood that concept. You know, if you weren't in a witness protection program, they don't even want to talk to you. You know, mm-hmm. listen, the only reason I'm talking is because I live my life full circle. And I'm talking about my life, what I did, you know, mm. and and I'm not telling on nobody. I'm 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 just telling my story because statute of limitations ran out and they can't do nothing to me. Yep, don't make a charge you with that. I'm talking about the greatest thief in history in the world, which is my father, and he's the one that's supposed to get honored every single day. If you're a thief, you're supposed to have my father's picture right on your right on your wall, okay? If you're a thief. Because this guy, they're supposed to make him a saint. He never got caught, you know? So, somebody's the genius here, and it's not me, I'll tell you that, because, you know, I really thought I was. I thought I was the one, you know? But it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was him. He yeah, never he got caught. I was talking to your lovely mama, and she is lovely. This mom is gorgeous. Anyway. Oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's beautiful. Yes, yeah, so I was talking to her, his beautiful mother, and she was telling me, you go, you go, Mom, it's kind of like, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Mom, Mom, who's the greatest thief in the history of the world? Is it me? And she goes, no. <laughs> no, it's your father. But why, why? Well, I, I, I did this, I did this, I did this. Goes, yes, but you also got caught, and he never got caught. Yeah. And you know what? Listen, Major K-Squad, the fed they were inside the office, inside our office. And Mr. Stan is smoking a cigarette, his cardiac cigarettes, with his leg up in his chair. And then you have Joseph Keenan and like five other cops. And I fainted. I wanted to faint. I mean, my heart just fell right to my butt. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I turned white. Because they pulled out those little, you know, those little 38 specials that they have on the side, you know, and they, and they both did it at the same time, and they pointed at my head, and I was like, ah, oh. like, you know, I just knew I was going to jail, you know? And that night I had a date with a girl. You had to cancel <laughs> the date, honey, I'm sorry, I got to go to federal yeah, prison. <laughs> and but, your dad, uh, meanwhile, yeah, your, kid, your, you know, your dad I'm is sorry. sitting there smoking a cigarette, calm as can be. Well, they've got guns to your head. It doesn't, Joseph, can say, Mr. Stan, may I please borrow your telephone to call in the arrest yeah. of your son? Politely, politely, he asked, and he knew his name and everything. And I'm like, these guys must know everything. And you know what? They had nothing but ultimate respect. And, you know, he probably thought that I was a bad apple or something, you know? Because the way my father is, the way he carries himself. Listen, this is the God's honest truth, all right? Everybody likes James Bond, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's charming. The way he handles the gun, the way he walks into the room, the way he talks to the girl, and the way he makes people feel special. He's an ultra gentleman. Now, James Bond is based off a character that comes from the same town where my father is born, Novi Sad. And that person is Dusko Popov. Right. The tricycle. Don't ask me why they call him the tricycle. Figure no one it out. Knows. <laughs> but, but he was a ladies' man. 
and this guy was so suave, and and the way Ian Fleming writes about his friend, that he had green bedroom eyes, and he spoke with his eyes to women, and he drank, you know, uh, martinis, shaken, not stirred, and all this stuff. So all this stuff is taken from a person that comes from a certain town where this was popular to act this way to be suave and debonair, you know, the way they talk, they swirl their, their words and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, same town where my father comes from. So when my father escaped communism and went to Italy and was in that camp, he had that charming effect on other people. You know, they were like, hey Stan, where are you from? And you know, Stan used to explain his life. And you know, my grandfather was a general and came from a backbone of military and you know this is like you know it's a prestigious to have that in a communist country basically you know that's all you have you know and these guys they were nothing but athletes you know athletes good athletes and and uh, they had a good yeah, place, let me you know, tell the audience something very important here in 1970 Please. was the first time and one of the only times that the cops caught after four months of, 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 of trying to figure out these incredible heists that were happening, this is when, uh, well, before, just before you were born, I guess, your dad was running these crews. They couldn't believe, the cops couldn't believe what they saw. They used night vision goggles. These guys were rappelling from the roofs of the buildings on ropes. Incredible athletes, like trapeze artists. They'd never seen anything like it. And the detective said, my God, this is like something out of a movie. I've never seen anything like it. These guys swinging from ropes in the middle of the night off these, these skyscrapers. And that's why they couldn't catch them. They were coming in from the top. And all the cops are running up to the top of the building again. They're already on another building. <laughs> and they got one guy who, of course, gave him a fake name and uh, disappeared. Into the, and now that was it. But... Uh, They'd never seen anything like it. Is it, uh, you know, you couldn't find some pasta stuffed mafioso thugs doing that. <laughs> no, it had to be a whole yeah, my other. Father, he wanted to go to Vietnam. He wanted to go to Vietnam. He, he, he really wanted to register. And he was like, they didn't do that because he already was in a different military and they didn't allow that. Mm-hmm. Even though he was an American citizen. See, he just had, uh, like, my father's life, it needs to be celebrated because it's an amazing life that. People that have a dream that come to America want to live need to read this book or you know this story. They need to see the story, and and they're immediately going to uh, fall in love with him because how far he went to find this freedom that he escaped. The guy's a journalist. He couldn't write the things he wanted to write. Because, because he's in a communist country. Dream. Well, that's that's why he had to escape because he wrote an expose. In this communist country, exposing the anti-Semitism and the persecution of of orphans after World War II, and put it all in the government, <laughs> which was true, which was good thinking on his part to get out alive, because that opened doors for him in America, because he was already had a degree of fame for being brave enough to do that. So a lot of parties approached my father that they wanted him to bomb embassies and to do things like you know what what they have, for example. Um, some other gentlemen that came over to New York. Like Bosco and Nikolai. you know. And, I mean, these guys were hijacking planes. They were putting bombs in embassies. They were, and, and my father, you know, like, he was the perfect person for that. 
but he didn't want to uh, subject himself into uh, killing anybody or, you know, finding, you know, he was not a murderer. He was not a killer. This guy was an artist. You know, he, my, listen, my mother went to art school, all right, and she graduated art school, and then she came to Parsons Art School in Manhattan to teach, and uh, she had a great job. And uh, uh, my mom, she stopped working because my father used to play poker all night and then he couldn't watch me the way, you know, you're supposed to watch a crazy kid like myself. You were a crazy I'm kid. stopped working. And this was in the 70s, 70, you know, 76, 77, and that's around that time that we had a home invasion. And I remember this like it was yesterday. And of course it affects me. So there's children today that's being locked up, for example, in all these uh, cages today. Um, I could, uh, I know that, you know, they're going to, this is, a, this is affecting them in a, such a major way, okay? Mm. Uh, if there's any children there from ages two, three, to seven years old, oh my God, this is such an impact. Because I remember, I remember everything that happened to me that was drastic. I remember when they arrested my mother and they put her in a precinct and how the police acted with her. And she had these little jean shorts on in clogs and I remember what she was dressed in and, and the cop is hitting on my mother and it was uncomfortable you know I yeah. felt very you know violated it's, vi it's like a violation and um, meanwhile you had a 357 held to your head when you were five years old by these guys who invaded the house to rob your father yeah 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 true story true story and and like the adventure it like it started it, it began and it ended for me because I came full circle especially as soon as I bumped into Bill Bear, we, ju we just came full, cir full circle with the life because um, I'm no longer a thief. Since 2010, I've been, you know, clean, you know, and no trouble, and I'm becoming an advocate for many positive things, you know, prison reform, anti-smoking, whatever it is. How, 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 do you, how, do you how do you support yourself now? And everybody knows if, <laughs> listen... You can't tell me that you, you're not doing something bad and you don't know it's bad. You know it's bad, okay? So if you're doing something that's bad, you know it's bad, all right? That's, called, that's, that's your conscience, all right? And uh, so you know, just like how I know if I was doing something that's bad. If it doesn't feel bad, do it, okay? That's all I'm going to tell you. I mean, Okay, now when I met like, you, when I met you face-to-face -face for the first time, the first thing we did when we left the, the airport... Handsome. Handsome guy, right? You're like, wow, this guy's handsome. Oh, that's the first thing I said. <laughs> no, the first thing I said is, let's go to the casino. So yeah. we went to the casino, uh, the Hard Rock, where he's not supposed to be. Uh, and, he, of course, he immediately hit some jackpots, and we got the hell out of there. <laughs> so tell us, how the okay. hell does it happen that a guy gets out of prison, and, yeah. and the first thing he does is he makes a million dollars? Yeah, at the casino. Oh, I was making. I was. I was. I was hitting. Listen, I was. I was hitting million dollar jackpots. Well, I had my money invested in it. I was going partners, fifty fifty. You know, because it's a thousand dollars a push. So you know, I'm putting in a thousand dollars every time with somebody, going fifty fifty with them. Uh, so if I'm putting in ten thousand, they're putting in ten thousand. You know, and if we hit something, we split it. So we hit. Well, I, you know, I push it three times. He pushes it three times. Well, on his push. He got a million dollars, and we split it. That's one of the pictures that I have on on my uh, in my in, in in all the pictures that I have of all the jackpots. You're not allowed to take pictures, first of all, and second of all, I got kicked out of six casinos that are located around me, and I can't go to these places. And that just cut me off financially because I was hitting around 20 jackpots a day. 
I was earning, uh, paying taxes for $1.8 million a year for three years straight. And I used to drive my accountant, Marina Copeland, crazy up the wall because she had to uh, add each entry by hand. And I brought her a shoebox, you know, full of these, uh, what are they, 10, 11, 10, 16, whatever yeah, they are? 10, 10 papers that you get. After every $1,200, uh, you get this paper and you have to pay taxes on it. So, bottom line is, uh, the jackpots that I was getting, they were averaging probably around 15,000, you know, 15, you know, like seven, eight, 15. Then you have some that are 30, 40. 60, 70, 80, 120, 180. You know, those are the ones that I was chasing, $100,000 and more and better. And I was surprised. The first time that I ever put money in a slot machine, because I did not believe in this, I would never put money in a machine for, for the machine to take the money, like it's in, a, in, in one of these uh, carnivals or something, you know, in Coney Island, you got these machines. And, yeah, yeah take your money. Right? Well, that's exactly what I think. And, I'm, and I always think my mom's crazy, you know, for, for, for playing the machine. So I was a poker player. In prison, I was a poker player, and I wanted to be a pro. And I was going on my way to become um, you know, a pro, and I would have been probably top 10 pros in, in the United States and uh, top 50 in the world, probably, because I, I had a very good game. Um, and the day that I was supposed to get paid for a bad beat, like $130,000 or something, you know, I was supposed to get, that hour or that half an hour, they didn't have it. It was off the board for some reason. And the, the timing, the, you know, if I got it like a minute later or three seconds after, I would have got the money. It was one of these things. So it was like a double, triple bad beat. And I was so upset, I vowed that I was never going to play poker ever again. You know, um, if people don't know what a bad beat is, that's if somebody beats your hand. Like, I have a, a straight flush, and they come up with a royal flush. That's a bad beat. You know, um, do you understand that? Like, you have a hand of a lifetime that's a guaranteed winner, and somebody's going to have a hand that's going to beat you, and it's just one hand that can beat it, and that's it. So that's a bad beat. So if you get something like that, usually you get a prize. You know, mm -hmm. uh, thirty thousand, you know, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, whatever they have on board, it gets collected throughout the month. Um, uh, may, may I so, check? so I go to I go to the high limit room complaining. I'm bitching and you know I'm like ah never again forget about it I'm done with poker you know and, uh, and you know because I want to play for a bracelet you know I want to play to get on the circuit and and get funded and get sponsored and you know I'd be in Vegas and all that stuff so and my mother's there and I'm like so depressed and uh, she gives me three thousand dollars she just hit like a twenty thousand dollar jackpot or something I'm like what. <laughs> and all day I'm, I'm I'm gambling for me to get you know fifteen thousand or something you know and she she she's she's waving twenty something in my hand you know in front of my face and I'm like you hit a jackpot so I just pick a machine and the first push the first time I put uh, you know the money in I get like I don't know it was like sixty thousand dollars or something Jeez. and I couldn't believe it. And, and and then I go to another machine and I get thirty thousand. Then I go to another one, I get twenty thousand, fifteen, then then another, then then I get you know, and it just kept on going up and, and I just had these magic hands and people thought I was cheating. I swear. I mean, this is why I was telling everybody, like, listen, I gotta write a book about this. This is amazing. I can't believe and I'm a convict. You know, I'm a person that came out of prison. 
and I went right to the casinos, and I was living large. I mean, I had a penthouse, okay, every single day, cabana at the pool, champagne. I don't drink, but I had champagne everywhere. Um, I was giving tips, hundreds of dollars of tips. Like, the biggest tip I gave was uh, $40,000, you know? Wow, who uh, got that forty grand? I wish I had it now. <laughs> <laughs> who had? Who oh, had yeah, it? Well, Who'd you give it to? After winning something, I won a car. I won. I won everything. I won trips, cruises. I mean, uh, jewelry. Uh, Adamus Piquet watch. That's two hundred forty thousand dollar watch. I won. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's on the Vice episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were just interviewed for Vice TV on uh, HBO or whatever. But. We're looking forward yeah. to seeing that. But so for three yeah, well, years in a row, you did like $1.8 million a year. Well, listen, listen, that's that's just me playing with my card. Now, I only play 50% of the time with my card, so it's double that, okay? So it's like, so it's like around $4 million, basically, that I was, uh, you know, playing. Because, you know, if I don't put my card in the machine, yeah. it's not going to register it as a win. That's right. It's not going to know. Do you understand? Oh, I understand because I, I have cars for all the casinos I go to when I play the penny machines. And, gee, I won like $350 once. No, actually, the most money I think I won, I won with you at the casino yeah. because you gave me a couple hundred bucks and said, I'll race you to the jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> we sat side that's by that's side that's and we just bam, 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 bam. And I don't remember which one of us hit first, but we both hit the jackpot. Exactly. What it was. It was, you know what? It wasn't even a jackpot. It was just under a jackpot, which was even better because we didn't have to pay taxes. It was exactly 1999 or something like that. Yeah, we both walked uh, out of there with, with, with gold in our pocket. Yeah, it was. It was uh, but, but I walked out of there because I knew that I had that, you know, that ability still. And I, was, I got nervous. And I was like, let's get out of here, bro, because... <laughs> I mean, I just didn't want to hit a big jackpot, and then we're not going to get paid. But yeah, because how did you manage to do that? He got well, everybody on the planet paying for Las Vegas and Atlantic City and Monte Carlo and all the gambling places in the world off slot machines, but you keep hitting jackpots. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought that other people were getting, you know, big jackpots. Uh, the way I was But I realized There's only a handful of people And I met them all Okay I met them all And a lot of them Are, are, are billionaires These guys That can afford To You know To throw A hundred thousand dollars a day You know um, In gambling Whatever it is Sports book, You know Football hundred thousand That's what they're putting out Every day They're You know They have an addiction This is a This is a real thing People This is not this is no joke. I mean, I lost family members behind. I don't speak to family members anymore because they gamble. And, you know, this is a sickness. And if you have and, a problem... And, and you don't gamble uh, a nickel now. He does. What did you say again? He wanted to know if you still gambled. Do I gamble? No, I don't gamble anymore. Me, but if I come to see you again in Florida, we're not going to hit the casino again? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with you. I'll gamble, yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that'll do. And as a matter of fact, I have some good news. Yes? They let me back in. They oh. let me back in. Okay. How did you pull that one off? Well. You wrote him a letter? You know what? I just wanted to put a little positive, positive thought on it. That's all. <laughs> See, I have to send a letter first. And they said if I send a letter, they would let me back in. So... I needed some positivity. I needed you guys to 
put it in the air, and this is great. Okay, write the letter, you know? get back in. I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you and I and uh, your uh, beloved Gina there. We we went to another casino, some strange little place. Went in there, and you hit another jackpot. Or was it seventeen hundred bucks before we walked out? Yeah, yeah. Mark has okay. another question. Mark has a question for you. Um, yeah, sure. Welcome back, and thanks for uh, joining us today, this is Mark. Oh, thank um, you, thank you guys for I having me. To, you guys are uh, always great. I, I love was, you guys. Uh, my high school math teacher was one of Doctor Thorpe's students. Do you know who Doctor Thorpe is? Absolutely. Okay. He he wrote the book Beat the Dealer. It was the first yeah. mathematical treatise on how to play blackjack. Yeah, of course, absolutely. He's a legend. Right. I have I have somewhere buried an autographed copy of the book, but besides beside the point. So he that's, was my that's math a good, uh, That's a nice collection you have. That's a good collection. Yeah. So I uh, I and uh, high school buddies would go up to Vegas once a month, drive up on a Friday night. I'd go downtown, Mint, Fort Queens, Nugget, uh, whatever was out there, Indians. Uh, they played open face. So it would be all yeah. eight hands, all up, and one up for the dealer. And I would play all eight hands. And I would count the cards. They played one deck. Sure. I would play for six, seven hours till wee hours in the morning, make six, seven hundred dollars, pay for the weekend, and we'd have a great time. You with me? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I, I so know, I, know uh, I am yeah. I am definitely underage, but they didn't care because I would uh -huh. sit in the one and two dollar table and not bother anybody. I needed to go to the bathroom one particular morning. It's like two or three in the morning. I come back and the young lady is taking a break and close the table. So I'm looking for another one and two. And I say, oh, there's a one and two. And I sit down at the one and two with my chips. I sit down <clears throat> before I get my chips on the table. I'm trying to put them on. These gentlemen came and picked me up by my elbows. Somebody else took the chips. They escorted me with my feet, not touching the floor to the cage, <laughs> cashed me in, and escorted me to the door and said, please don't come back, and took my chips. I found out it was a 100-200. And I'm out. You're out. Hey, we're out of time. Yes, we are. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. This is great. I like this. I like this story. Thanks a lot for coming. Thank you. Great show, Bunch. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me, man. Thank you. All right. Be well. Be well. Always a great show. Always. Always fun. I just sit back and listen. Yeah, it's fantastic. Speaking of listen, Burl. Yeah. What's next? Magic Ben Allen and the Demons of Decadence. Live.